man alive was he electric with New York and now Jacob DeGrom is a member of the Rangers introduced on Thursday look at that a Rangers hat and jersey and that's not something that uh, many people thought we would see judge to me what he just had is he just played the most lucrative season in the history of baseball a season worth 146 million dollars that's the difference between what was offered what eight months ago and what he signed for now Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, we have all things off-season today. I mean, I really think it's just trying to give us a moment to digest everything because we had to miss the last two weeks because of scheduling conflicts with everything going on. Um, the biggest one being last week, we were both out in the winter meetings and running in 8 billion different directions. So unless we were going to do that between the three hours that we were able to sleep between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., we didn't really get to it early last week. So we let our very good friends, Matt Myers and Mike Petriello, handle it the last two weeks. Um, and now we can sort of catch up because there was so much going on. And I guess now, since I mentioned the winter meetings, I do at least just want to say it was refreshing and maybe it's only like this in my head because I'm used to covering a team that doesn't make the splash at the winter meetings, but to have that be as active as it was, um, I know I've talked to a couple different um, executives across the game and all of them sort of said the same thing of, okay, yeah, like this is great for all of us to be back in person and feel normal again, but this doesn't really change anything. I mean, um, like in the olden days, they would sit in the rooms together and they would hash it out and they would have papers and they would go through stuff. Like that's not how it goes anymore. I mean, everything's text, everything's call. Um you can do that from wherever. You don't have to be locked in the same building to be able to get these deals done. But this week is always such a big week in the winter for baseball. Um, it allows all eyes to come back to the sport for at least a little bit. I know that big moves randomly can draw some attention, but this is something that everyone marks on their calendars, baseball fans mark. And it was enjoyable to be able to see big names, especially Aaron Judge, um, the biggest name arguably going into the offseason finding homes, making news. And it was, it was just nice after the weird off season we had to go through last year to just see some traction, see some things happening and seeing excitement around baseball. Definitely. And it was so much fun. I mean, it was the first time I had ever gotten to be at the winter meetings, but I know that everybody yourself included was talking about how exciting it was to be all in person at the same time again because that hadn't happened last year because of the atypical offseason. The year before it hadn't happened because of COVID. So the last time the winter meetings had happened this way was in 2019. So that alone is really fun. But the fact that we then got all of the excitement of stuff going down while we were there, while everybody was there, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I was as wide-eyed and bushy-tailed learning how this works, what it's like, overwhelmed, seeing so many people. But it was really fun to be sitting in the media workroom 
as I was getting alerts about Trey Turner and Josh Bell and all of these different players signing, and it's really fun. Even though we're all working on our computers and those of us who don't cover a team the way you do aren't meeting in person necessarily with these executives, there's just a kind of group energy that you really feel just by sitting there, you hear people whispering, did you see he just tweeted this? Did you see 11 years? Can you believe it? Kind of just back and forth. It's really fun to be in that environment, especially for me. I love baseball so much and being around other people who are like-minded. The fact that we're all sitting there in a hotel, basically choosing to be cooped up for three days for the sake of baseball. Even though we're in beautiful, sunny San Diego, choosing to be indoors with each other to talk about this sport and get to see as everything is going down, it was really incredible. So, uh, you know, I'm so glad because certainly even from the outside, we've seen plenty of years where the winter meetings didn't bring the absolute biggest signings. But it's great those happen because... Now, as we'll get to later on in the podcast, there are really three big names left in Dansby Swanson, Carlos Correa, and Carlos Rodon, at least as of when we're recording on Tuesday afternoon. And it's great that those dominoes began to fall. We'll also talk about the fact that we got a really big trade yesterday on Monday, a trade that you and I were talking about we thought might involve the team you cover with Sean Murphy, but he ends up going to the Braves. Let's go ahead and look at the biggest trade to happen so far today, and that would be Sean Murphy on the move from Oakland. It is a three-team trade, nine players involved. The Braves are getting yet another big catcher. Yeah, I think you can so often expect a lull to happen after the winter meetings when there are so many moves. I think the best part of this is that there hasn't been. It's really continued. Um, and yeah, like you said, it, it this this Murphy trade happened. And I don't know. I, I know we were talking to different people um, who had more of a pulse on this trade developing um, than either of us had. And it seemed like people were confident it was going to happen at the winter meetings that it was going quicker, and then it slowed down. And when that happens, I'm thinking, all right, is this going to drag out for a while? Um, Wasn't expecting it to be just a couple days later and definitely wasn't expecting it to be Atlanta. I know our Mark Feinstein had originally had that and then called that off and said, no, it doesn't look like it's going to be Atlanta anymore. We were looking at all these different teams and it seemed like, okay, maybe St. Louis, but then um, Contreras happened and you start looking at other stuff. It's like, okay, the Guardians makes a lot of sense. Um, But then you start hearing whispers about, well, they've kind of been on Mike Zanino and it's like, okay, maybe not the Guardians. So ends up being the Braves, um, ends up being a three-team deal, which is... Uh, always even more confusing as news starts trickling out because you can see all these guys trying to piece everything together. And uh, But I think it was um, maybe surprising for a team that had ranked so favor- favorably in that position, land one of the top catching targets of the offseason. But, I mean, hey, if you're a great team, add great players, you keep getting better, you can't complain. 
Yeah, I mean, this is what we've seen the Braves do. You know, when Mark Feinstein first reported that maybe the Braves were involved and then ended up saying, okay, maybe not, or maybe they aren't as serious players as had initially been thought, I remember thinking, well, they have catchers, they have Travis Darno, they have William Contreras, but yet Sean Murphy seemed like such a Brave. And from that moment, to me, it seemed like it would make total sense. But what I loved about this trade, and I tried to look into this and I was not able to, uh, trades are very hard to search. So you can't just pull up a little search and say, find me the last time XYZ happened. You can find the last time a team trade with another. But depending how many sort of qualifiers you're adding, it gets a little too complicated. But this is a trade where three teams swap starting catchers. I mean, I guess Travis Darno was the main starter for the Braves last year. But William Contreras had been a starting catcher at various points. He goes to the Brewers. Then Manny Pino goes from the Brewers to the A's. And then the A's send Sean Murphy over the Braves. And I was so curious about the last three-team trade that involves three catchers. If you are listening to this and you have one off the top of your head, please tweet at us because I want to know. And I did not have a way to look it up. But, I mean, I just want to read all the names involved in this trade because this, to me, is... It's ridiculous. It's just classic offseason. It's <laughs> classic teams being so far ahead of what I even could have imagined because I don't know enough of all of these uh, prospects and everyone else involved to even imagine something like this. But the A's sent Sean Murphy to the Braves. Braves sent William Contreras to the Brewers. The A's got Esteri Ruiz, who they had, the Brewers had received in the Josh Hader deal from San Diego. They also got Manny Pena, as I mentioned, Kyle Muller, Freddie Charnock, Roeber Salinas, and then the Brewers, in addition to getting William Contreras, also got pitcher Justin Yeager and pitcher Joel Piamps. I mean, just so many individuals involved. And it's so amazing to me that sometimes it takes all of that to get from point A to point B. I always love like the videos whenever you, I don't know, I've seen people do this. I think it was maybe the, I think it might have been the Cespedes guys who did this at the winter meetings this year, maybe. Asking executives to think back to their first trades um, and seeing if they can name everybody that was involved in it. I would love in 10 years for someone to whip out this trade to any of the, the front office executives and any of these three teams to see if they could even come close to remembering each name because this list is insanity of how many people have been involved in this. Um, but, I mean, look, from a Cleveland perspective, because it's the easiest angle for me to bring into this, um, it it didn't, it didn't make sense to me this entire time the more Cleveland was tied to him. Um, it made sense because he's, in, I mean, his numbers defensively from 2021 when he was a gold glove winner, uh, perfect match. Uh, Cleveland values defensive catchers 1,000% over offensive. We've seen that 
plenty of times. This year, they're trying to find someone who could match offensively as much as they bring defensively. Um, This seemed like that could happen. The issue is with Cleveland, they have a young catcher in Bone Naylor. Yes, Josh Naylor's younger brother. Um, he, they're ready for him. They want him to be their guy. And if you want someone to be their, your guy, you can't lock up someone who's not a free agent until what, 2026? Um, and yeah, maybe you can flip him at some point, whatever, but it just doesn't, it would have blocked Naylor from being that guy. Um, he's not ready yet. He's only had five games in the big leagues, only had a half a season in AAA, but uh, now that there's rumors and reports of them being tied to Mike Zunino now um, and him coming to Cleveland, that makes so much more sense, I think. A one-year deal, an older guy, bring some veteran experience. So to me, it always made sense to go to another team. Now, was I thinking a team that already had great catching? I don't know. But uh, it just definitely made sense, I think to go elsewhere from Cleveland. I know not everyone agrees, but this seems like a a deal now that makes way more sense that it's done. I agree. And I'll say real quick, and then we can move on to another team in the ML East, which has been very active so far this offseason. You know, in case you're listening, you're saying, I don't watch A's games. Who's Sean Murphy? Why do I care? He is a top five catcher in the game right now. I'm working on my top 10 list right now for MLB Network. And I, I mean, he might be four, he might be five. Last year I had him right there as well. He had a decent hitting season. He hits the ball hard. So even if he had around 250, 258, don't be fooled by that. But He had the second most barrels of any catcher in 2022. A barrel is about a ball with the ideal combination of launch angle and exit velocity. Usually a barrel is a double or a home run. Usually they're extra base hits. It was JT Realmuto and then Sean Murphy. So that tells you that he makes really good contact. The other thing you mentioned is defense and overall the defensive metrics weren't as favorable for him last year. But even even during that, his pop time to second base is very good. So that's the time that it takes you to literally pop up and throw down to second on a potential stolen base. He had a 1.89 second pop time to second, which was the second fastest average behind only Real Muto, who is known as currently the gold standard in that the major league average is two seconds, so 1.89. He's well below that. And I saw a lot of Braves fans talking on Twitter. I tweeted that stat, and they were saying they're very excited to have that. Travis Darno is a really good catcher, but that wasn't necessarily a specialty for them. And it wasn't really why William Contreras was there either. So I think it'll be really fun to see a team that has been very good over a handful of years now, now have a defensive upgrade behind the plate. Okay, can we talk about the Mets? Because I, when I, okay, I know we're digging deeper into the offseason now, and it's not the last few days, but... When Justin Verlander popped up onto my phone as going to the Mets, I, I was on the phone 
with my parents at that point and I said out loud, what the heck? And they were like, what? And I said, Verlander to the Mets? 43.3 mil per year, full no trade, third year option, that vesting option at, at 35. And he'll be 40 next year. 40 years old. So, it was interesting. I thought it was fun. It was uh, definitely different um, than what I was expecting to happen for sure. And I don't know. I was just thinking of, okay, you have Verlander going to the Mets. You now have them making more noise in the offseason with Sanga and his, um, oh, don't leave my brain now. The ghost fork? Is that what, is that what his, his um, exciting fork ball splitter pitch is? I'm so excited to see the ghost fork um in person because one that's just the coolest name i've ever heard ever um but what is going on in new york now with this rotation i know you have some fun stuff with verlander and scherzer um but i I was not expecting any of this yeah it's fascinating i mean obviously the first domino here was jacob de The fact that Jacob deGrom signed that deal with the Rangers, I think I was expecting, you know, I was on a show on SMY. Oh, that's the one that I was talking to my parents for. That's the one I was talking to my parents for. It was DeGrom to the Rangers. That's the one. Verlander was later. It was because I was with you. I remember that one. I was thinking Verlander. Yes, yes. Now it's coming back to me. I think DeGrom was really the first domino here because... That made it clear that if the Mets want to have a rotation on par with or better than what they had last year in 2022, that they would need to make some sort of big move. And, I mean, all the props in the world to Jacob deGrom for getting a very friendly to him contract. I mean, I know Mets fans may have had whatever opinions they may have had. They're sprinkled across the uh, Twitter sphere, but... I'm always thrilled for a player to get what they deserve and to get what they've worked so hard for. Yeah, um, you know, I'm super excited talking to Boach and, and CY throughout this process and, and what they're trying to build here um, is um, winning and, you know, for a number of years. So that was exciting. And, you know, ultimately it, it led to this decision and couldn't be more excited. But. The moment that happened, it felt like the gears were probably turning in Queens of who are they going to replace him with. And of course, they end up really replacing Jacob deGrom, not just with Justin Verlander, but as you said, with Kodai Senga, who they signed or are reportedly signed over the weekend, and with Jose Quintana, who is definitely there to be sort of another steadying force. And... There have been reports since then that uh, Carlos Carrasco may be on the trading block. So we'll see what happens there. But the first thing that stood out to me with this rotation is that almost all of these guys are 34 plus. So if they did have uh, Carrasco still in the rotation, if they got 120 starts from those four guys, Quintana, Carrasco... Verlander and Scherzer. They would be the first team to get that many starts from guys who were all 34 or older. So that is, of course, sort of the warning sign, the red flag with this rotation. 
But I mean, from a much more positive standpoint, they're only going to be the second team to have two guys on the roster at the same time who have won at least three Cy Youngs because Justin Verlander and uh, Max Scherzer have each won three Cy Youngs in 2021. Scherzer was a teammate with Clayton Kershaw, the same. There's an instance back in the 80s where Tom Seaver and Steve Carlton were both on the White Sox, but they were never actually teammates, so we're not really going to have them for that. But certainly on paper, this is quite the imposing rotation they've put together. On paper, in theory, all of it sounds like it would be awesome. It would be elite. It would be something to definitely tune into every single night. Be interested to see if it actually plays out that way. I mean, especially as you age, it's hard to determine and predict what what stuff you're going to have. But if there's anything trending in their favor, I think Justin Verlander proved this past year that, okay, it's a cliche, but age is only a number and uh, you can still be as effective uh, as you want to be whenever you're working the way that he worked. So um, I definitely think the Mets rotation especially is going to be fun. I know they they signed Nimmo, I think it was, what, a couple days ago now. Um, so Mets are, have been ridiculously active so far this year, uh, this winter, I should say, not this year. Um, and as you were talking, I'm sure you saw me, um, I'm sitting here watching a video of the ghost fork pitch and I'm sitting there and they show his, they show his grip. And I'm like, I don't even think I can split my (laughs) pointer finger and my middle finger far enough to get that grip that he has on the ball. But, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need to see that because the movement on it. Um, that Pitching Ninja had posted uh, last year, back in August of 2021, that was in our running story on MLB.com of every move that's that's happening. Um, They have a clip of that pitch that he had tweeted, and gosh, that grip is ridiculous. So um, before I break my finger trying to mimic it, we will take a quick break, and when we come back, we I mean, it's way more off-season stuff. There's so many things going on, and then as you alluded to before, we can get to the guys who are still left on the board, which there's only a couple left now, so stay with us. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, I guess we can just start with another move that just happened. Well, happened reportedly during the winter meetings. A f- a official this week, um, Josh Bell, uh, the reason that I suddenly was in line in the lobby trying to get food and then had to make a mad dash back to the workroom to get my laptop, standing there with our Dodgers writer, Juan Toribio, and he's like, ah, Josh Bell to the Guardians. And I'm like, okay, good one. Like, I'm really trying to get this this stuff right now. And he's like, nope, check your phone. And I look down, I'm like, oh, no. So then I just go in a full-on sprint. Seeing everything that the Guardians did last year was really entertaining baseball. Um, you know, surprised a lot of people um, from, you know, what expectations were at the beginning of the season last year. And to, to finish where they finished, uh, it's pretty incredible. So I'm, I'm happy to, 
you know, hopefully be a part of that. I I don't want to say I was surprised by that move. I think I was surprised by the fact of the timing of it. I don't think I was expecting it to happen that quickly. I don't think I was expecting them to address that need before they address their catching need. Um, I was so focused on Sean Murphy being a thing and that starting the rumors of that starting to pick up steam that I was not expecting the Josh Bell announcement to be breaking at that point so it all makes sense on paper though I mean his reputation I know um you and Jessica Camerato last year did a breakdown of how the start of his season was like his all-star season in 2019 um but the threat of his bat the power that he can bring the fact that he's a switch hitter um, the fact that he can play first base and spell Josh Naylor whenever there's lefties on the mound because you can look at Naylor splits. They were rough. They've been rough um, against left-handed pitching. So if you can replace that with Bell and have that, that first baseman who's actually played the position before, unlike what they've been doing um, this past year uh, in recent memory, it's it's a match made in heaven. And then, of course, the two-time Roberto Clemente nominee is just icing to the cake. I mean, this clubhouse is really a solid group. They're young. They're inexperienced. Having someone with experience will be great. But the fact that he seems like such a good person, everyone I've talked to with relating to the San Diego um, beat and then even back to the Washington organization, everyone just raves about how good of a person he is. And Cleveland really, really values that. So... When you start looking down the list, it was a match made in heaven. Now, they just need him to show up as he did in the first half of the season last year and that 2019 version, the first half of the season again, uh, of himself and not turn into another Fran Mel Reyes situation for them because if they are able to get a bat behind Jose Ramirez that is as threatening as his, this lineup is completely different than we've seen the last few years. I'm glad you mentioned the good person thing because, you know, I used to watch a lot of Washington Nationals games. I mean, I watch every game as it is, but uh, I would have the sound on on Nationals when Juan Soto was still there. And obviously before the trade that sent both of them to San Diego. And one of my favorite things was about, was the fact that he had this Josh Bell book club where he would read with, I believe it was Inner City Kids in D.C. Yeah, I had a, a book club the last two organizations that I've, I've been with. Yeah, so uh, dove into uh, mental health the last couple of years. We read uh, like The Secret. Um, we read, um, you know, a, a couple other books diving into that realm. But just about the fact that he would encourage reading from kids in the city and that he really enjoys reading and that's why. And, you know, we see players take on so many amazing community initiatives and everything they do is so incredible. But you really felt the energy and the dedication he had behind it. And I love seeing those little ads for Josh Bell's book club. So... He's definitely an individual I'm always really rooting for. And you mentioned uh, Jess Camerano and I did write a story back in May kind of looking at what was different for him so far, why he was off to such a good start. And hey, I hope you and I get to write the exact same story around May 15th this year. 
he was an all-star of the sort of analytical questions that I threw at him through Jess. And that was really cool to see. But overall, the thing for him is hitting the ball in the air. We talk about this. We know you have more success when you hit line drives and fly balls. When you hit a ground ball, it is far more likely to be an out. In the second half, when he got to San Diego and things sort of started to tail away from him, he was hitting the ball on the ground far more. So his ground ball rate went up about 11 percentage points between his time with the Nationals and his time with the Padres last year. And if you look at his underlying stats, the expected stats, which tell us what should have been happening beyond what actually happened, yeah, he probably had some bad luck, really good defensive plays against him or whatever it may have been while he was in San Diego. But even those expected stats were not on the level of what he did with the Nationals early in the year. You never know why a swing changes in the middle of the year, but I know he spent some time in the offseason last year when he was unable to speak to his own coaches. He had spent time talking with his hitting coach from the Pirates who had been let go that offseason. And he really helped him get back to his basics and what he had been doing with the Pirates. So I think a reset, an off-season reset, knowing where he's going to be for the whole year, all of that should really do him well. Yeah, and I know there's been a handful of other moves so far um, that maybe weren't as big as obviously the Aaron Judges and the Justin Verlanders and now the Sean Murphys that have started to... Uh, to happen here, but you have you have Bassett, you have Manaya, you have all these different things. I know you wanted specifically to hit on Kevin Kiermeyer. What did you have on him? Well, he's just I mean, he is a classic defense and speed superstar. And we'll see how he is after the off season or season ending surgery he had. I believe it was his hip. But he is a guy who's been in the 95th percentile or better in speed almost every year we've been tracking StatCast this year was 93rd very very close and if you look at outs above average he has the most of any outfielder since we've been tracking that and just overall you look at on his StatCast page the combination of speed defense with outs above average and arm strength he is in the 90th plus percentile and all those, as long as we've been tracking, I think that he can add a really exciting dimension for the Blue Jays. Now, he's not going to hit a whole lot, so I think a lot of Blue Jays fans were thinking, what else? What's next? What else are we doing? And even though it wasn't an offense move, then they went out and signed Chris Bassett, and I feel like the Blue Jay fan base was very antsy during the winter meetings. They didn't do much then. But since the winter meetings, I think we've seen two really impactful moves in getting a top-end starter like Chris Bassett, sort of that cut below the DeGroms and Verlanders, but a very reliable guy. And I know he had some issues down the stretch last year, 
There was a lot asked of those meth starters when DeGrom was hurt and when Scherzer was hurt. Overall, he's a very reliable pitcher. And now you have a defensive specialist in Kevin Kiermaier as well. Let's go to like the three big names. Like, uh, There's a couple names left, but the three big targets that are still out there right now. You have Carlos Correa, uh, Carlos Rodon, and we have Dansby Swanson. And I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see where any of these guys could go. I'm curious if it seems like every single thing that pops up right now where all the everyone's saying, oh, Boston just missed out. Boston was in the mix. I'm curious if maybe could Carlos Correa finally be the one that ends up with Boston winning one of these? Or could he? I know I was talking to our Minnesota reporter, Hyung Park, and he was saying, um, it wouldn't surprise me, but I'm not banking on it if it would be a return back into Minnesota. Um, but I'm sort of surprised with all of this chaos going on that Carlos Correa hasn't found his home yet. Definitely. And another team that keeps coming up in sort of that uh, post-signing reporting of, oh, they were close, they were in on so-and-so, is the San Francisco Giants, who we know were very close with Aaron Judge and have been close with a handful of other guys who signed as well. They have Brandon Crawford at shortstop, but their name has been there with all of these shortstops. And I really wonder if Correa could end up there. And of course, speaking of Carloses, who are still out there, there's Carlos Rodon, who was on the Giants last year. It's kind of this last remaining uh, prize in the pitching market. I have no idea how many years he might get. I mean, Seeing the way that the market has played out, he, I mean, I saw something about a seven-year deal uh, being out there, being rumored, being what his camp wants at a minimum. And, you know, a couple months ago, I would have said, that's a lot. And now that seems about what the market is. So, you know, it changes day to day. But I'm curious whether the Yankees will be in on any of these guys. I mean... They need some sort of upgrade at shortstop. They have a young Anthony Volpe and others who could certainly fill that void eventually, but the question is whether they're ready right now. And I have thought for a long time that those Yankees really need another top-of-the-line starter behind Garrett Cole. And I know they traded for Frankie Montes, and he didn't exactly... Uh, impressed the way they were hoping, but they do still have him. But Cole and Rodon would be quite the pair. I think Rodon in New York would make so much sense. It seems like that's just the way it's leaning of, okay, this just makes too much sense not to happen. I, I would be, I think I would be surprised if he goes anywhere but New York at this point, just because of how much it does make sense. No, Anthony Castro Vince, um, our good friend who uh, wrote a story yesterday, I want to say it was, who was trying to come up with landing spots for all these guys who are left. And he gave his most likely outcome, guess, but he also gave a mo- most interesting fit for these guys. 
And I like that he had Rodon with Baltimore for the most interesting fit because I want Baltimore to get in on this because it was an unexpectedly fun team this past year. And whenever the team like that, I trust me, I know it, I understand it because I covered the Guardians. When they jump into the mix and they're the ones, the same way DeGrom going to Texas Rangers, like that was, everyone was like, whoa, what? Those, I think, are the most exciting of the off-seasons, not whenever Rodon goes to the New York Yankees or Correa goes to the San Francisco Giants. It just seems like, okay, yep, we could have guessed that. When it's that head-turning, I'm sorry, what just happened? Uh, those are what's so fun to me. So I hope Castro Vince is on to something there because Rodon to Baltimore, I, sign me up. Let's do it. I love that. And, uh, you know, we did a story a while back couple of weeks ago on MLB.com where a handful of us shows sort of unlikely landing spots. So a, a player who made sense for a team but had not been connected to that team. And I actually wanted to do Rodon and the Orioles and I was chatting with our uh, Andrew Simon who's one of our editors and writers here. And he said that wasn't out of the box enough because they had been connected a little bit. So I like that idea a lot. Another team I want to mention, not for Rodon, but because I feel like we need to talk about them to really complete this discussion, is the Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, they have not made any notable or any additions, I don't think in the offseason, certainly not notable ones. They lost Trey Turner. Cody Bellinger, they non-tendered. He hadn't really been a factor for them in a bit, of course. But you wonder, are they going to trust Gavin Lux at shortstop now? Or could they swoop in with Gray or Dansby Swanson? Or are they really going to stand pat? And I think if they do stand pat, we also get to this phenomenon that we'll probably see at the end of this offseason and into next year of teams who are biding their time waiting for Shohei Otani to become a free agent because I would imagine that the Dodgers and the Mariners and the Mets, though they have been plenty active, and the Yankees are probably going to be among the teams that for various reasons, are going to be all in on Shohei Otani if and when he does reach free agency, as he is set to after uh, next year. So it'll be really, really interesting to see there. But I have been watching the Dodgers and wondering if that's part of the calculus here. Yeah, it seems like the Dodgers, it's just like, okay, when is it going to happen? And I know I mentioned him earlier, Juan Toribio, who covers them for us. He just kept walking around the winter meetings and he's like, all right, this is strange. Uh, when's something going to happen? I'm waiting for it. And But, I mean, the guys that are remaining, uh, Swanson would be interesting to go there. Um, I, I just think that there's, there's, there's no way that you have a completely quiet offseason with this team. Um, I know that they just, all they did was win last year. And so it's like, okay, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But, uh, yeah, I think that there's no way that this team is quiet for too much longer. There's going to be something that happens that's at least semi-notable going into uh, 2023. But if you're good, maybe we take a quick break and we can get back into our regular tradition since we had to skip it the last time we talked. 
of saying our favorite thing in baseball from the past week-ish. Let's say week-ish because the offseason's such a blur. I don't even know what day is which and when things happen. But in recent memory, our favorite moments in baseball. So we'll be able to come up with those when we get back. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, you needed literally seven seconds to confirm what you were going to. The suspense is there, uh, and so now I need to know what your moment is. Yes, yeah, so while we were talking, the Red Sox, while we've been recording this podcast, the Red Sox have started sharing... Uh, various items from introducing Kenley Jansen today, who they signed. And there was this really adorable tweet that came out while we were talking about half an hour ago of the Jansons take Fenway. And it's Kenley with his two sons, and one of them has this most adorable puffy hair. And they're in their little Red Sox hats, and I believe his little daughter as well, just pictures all around Fenway. So I was going to do that. And then literally within the last five minutes, the Red Sox tweeted this moment from uh, Kenley's introductory press conference where they said, okay, that's it. Anybody have anything else? And the camera turns to his son, whose name is Kyrian, and he goes, go Boston! Oh, stop. I'll text it to you. You'll watch it when we're done. But yeah, so just to prove that baseball is best even in the offseason, even in the middle of a random Tuesday, something comes across that is perfect. Okay, that's adorable. Um, that's, as, that's as good as it gets. Obviously, my weakness is baseball and kids, so you put those together. Um, I had to capitalize on any Tito moment that I can get because it's really, those are just unmatched. And because of the winter meetings, we were able to have some gold Tito moments. Um, and MLB really delivered in that, doing their little mini mic series. Yes. Um, the mini mic kills me. I think it's hilarious. It looks ridiculous when you're holding it. And I think all of it is perfect. And um, the one that got me the most was when you were asked, when they were asking managers if the player manager was still a thing where they would bat themselves. Um, and to me, Tito's answers are always gold. And the way that Francona said his answer to this question specifically of saying, um, 10th is where he would bat himself, which obviously, as we know, would mean not in the lineup. And he was saying how he would fire himself so quickly because he uh, can't hit and he knows he can't hit. Um, when he makes fun of himself is one of my favorite things. And uh, all those moments that they, they captured, the MLB's social media team did a great job with the mini mic. Um, I thought it was funny when they were asking managers what they would wear if they didn't have to wear their baseball uniforms in the dugout. And Tito was just like sweats. And and then he went on saying how he has to wear his sliding shorts underneath his baseball pants. He's like, I know I'm not doing anything, but I have to do I have to go through all of it because I'm wearing baseball pants. So um, 
hearing them be so just nonchalant in their answers and genuine and um, not guarded in a way of just like freely speaking. It was really good content. So I'm going to have to shout out MLB's social media team for those because I, th- I think they, uh, they took advantage of those manager sessions out in the winter meetings. I'm going to add to those uh, shout-outs by saying that Jess Whitney did an amazing job with those videos specifically, and Sid Wolf has done an amazing job bringing the mini mic, which is a TikTok trend, to the MLB TikTok, and then also doing it on the MLB social media platforms on Twitter and elsewhere. I'm and not cool uh, enough for TikTok, Sarah. you got to explain I'm not either, but I learned because every time they post one, Everyone's like, what is this? And then there's someone who gets in there. It's like, it's a TikTok thing. Oh, okay, so okay. At least you're not I cool learned. either. We're good. I'm not at all. <laughs> and then I also want to give a huge shout to uh, Doug Gospel and Brett Blueweiss, who do a really great job leading that department, coming up with all of those great ideas, everything that you're talking about and that you see across their uh, platforms. So, yeah, I love it. I love it all. No, that basically wraps up our entire um, work relationship where I just spew out a lot of random thoughts and then you clean it up and make it a lot better. So that's exactly how that just happened right there. You guys see exactly how we work behind the scenes. That was, uh, that, that was really, really good there. So on that note, so you don't have to clean up any more of my mess that I have thrown out there. We will wrap it up this week. Um, don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying this show or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and we'll see you next week.